Amberly Lago is a peak performance coach, TEDx speaker, podcaster, and a leading expert in the field of resilience and transformation. She's the best-selling author of the book, Through Grit and Grace, and the founder of the Unstoppable Life Mastermind. Through her book, Coaching Methods, and Masterminds, she has curated unique tools to teach others how to tap into their superpower of resilience and elevate their lives and businesses. Amberly has most recently been featured on NBC's The Today Show, The Doctors, Hallmark, and today I'm so excited to share her incredible story of surviving an accident where she was T-boned on a motorcycle and told she had a 1% chance of avoiding amputation, and after dozens of surgeries is now walking, speaking, coaching, and leading so many women into an empowerment movement. She also shares a little of her journey with recovery and why it was so important to her to get honest when she had a one-day slip that led to a reset in her sobriety date. We also talk about why Amberly's masterminds and teaching others to speak and tell their stories is her chosen passion in life and why you have a story that needs to be told. If you need a boost of inspiration in your life, then today's episode is just for you. Amberly, I'm so happy to have you here today. Super excited to learn from you and get to know you better. And I just already adore you from knowing you for just a little bit of time on Instagram. And every time I see one of your posts, I'm inspired. So this is going to be a great conversation today. I already know it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I knew when our mutual friend, Henry Amar said, you've got to meet this lady. I was like, Oh, well, then I know she's definitely going to be an angel in my life if Henry's introducing me to you because he is definitely an angel in my life and I love him. And so I immediately felt connected with you and I love all that you share and I'm inspired by all that you do. And so it's no wonder you have a huge following and a huge fan base of people who are just like so eager to learn from you. And so it's really an honor to be here. Thank you. Oh, thanks. That's so nice of you. So Amberly, if anyone hasn't heard of you yet, or they're not quite familiar with you, can you just give us a brief intro of who you are and what you do? Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because when a lot of times you read somebody's bio, you're like, oh, she's a speaker and an author and she's done TED mm -hmm. Talks and all this stuff. And yeah, if you're watching this, I don't know if you post this on YouTube or anything like that. You can see by the look of me, I, I'm pretty down to earth and I work out every day. And that's because I have a fitness background for 26 years. I was in the fitness industry. And before that, mm -hmm. I was in the dance industry, but my whole life changed in the blink of an eye. When my career was booming, I got hit by an SUV while ride, or I was riding my motorcycle and I got T-boned by an SUV. And a lot of people go, what does that mean, T-boned? That means basically smashed by an SUV and thrown 30 feet. And uh, I slid across the asphalt. When I finally came to a stop, I remember looking down at my leg. And my one of my very first thoughts was, well, this can't be good. I might have to train clients on crutches for a while. My first thought was like, okay, how I'm going to keep working? What, I'm gonna, what am I going to do? 
Mm-hmm. I had no idea how this was going to completely change my life. I was rushed to the hospital. Thank goodness I had a guy at the scene make a tourniquet on my leg because I didn't realize my my femoral artery was severed. So I was bleeding out right there oh. uh, uh, wow. at the scene. And he basically saved my life. But it took an army of doctors and angels, prayer warriors, 34 surgeries later, they saved my leg, which wasn't probably something that anybody thought possible because when I first woke up out of a coma, the first thing I learned was one of the doctors said, hey, I'm sorry, we can't we can't do anything for you. You've got a 1% chance of saving your leg you are going to have to amputate it because it's like a war wound. There's nothing we can do for you. And let me tell you, all I thought about was that 1% chance. Mm-hmm. And that 1% is was my glimmer of hope. And it's what held me on through surgery after surgery after surgery. And I, I saved my leg. So sometimes mm-hmm. I think that it's focusing on that slim chance or that 1% of hope or that glimmer of hope that gets us through the hardest times and that we keep going. Yeah. And that's such an inspiring story. I remember seeing that for the first time and being amazed, not only by the fact that you felt powerful enough as a female to say, now, wait a minute, I'm not just going to take no or yes. I don't either way that you look at it for an answer as far as like you you must have your leg amputated. But then also just the resilience that you had to hold on to through all of those surgeries and all of the rehab and all of the things that you had to do to keep going and to keep holding on to that hope that you would eventually be yourself again. And I don't know, do you feel like you do you feel like you're yourself or do you feel like you're no. better? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that because I think that in my mind, I kept thinking, you know, I think when all of us, for anybody listening, and you're going through a hard time, you're like, I just get to get back to my old self, or I just got to get back to what I was doing, or I just got to get back to how things were going so I can move on with my life. And I I felt like that. I was, I've, I'm guilty of that. I was like, I just got to get back to mm-hmm. my business and what I was doing. And I was so wrong. Yes. Resilience is not going back at all. Mm. It's, yeah. it's resilience is having the courage to move forward and yes. choose to have a life of joy and thrive instead of not being in survival mode, but like, look at all your options that you have available in front of you. And for me, no, I'm not the same person. I, I had a great life. I mean, it was comfortable, though. It was Mm -hmm. comfortable. And I think for the first time in my life, it was comfortable because I'd worked to build this business. You know what I mean? And I finally felt like I had been through two failed marriages. This was my third marriage. And and by the grace of God, we've been together for 
total 18 years now. We just celebrated our 16-year anniversary. But I was... Thank you. I was ready to like give up on it all. I was like, okay, I'm just focusing on my career and my daughter. So when I had this accident, I was like, gosh, I had... I had the best life. I finally got the man of my dreams. Mm-hmm. My career was finally booming after any entrepreneur out there listening right now knows how hard it is to get a career to where it's finally doing good. Mm-hmm. And to have it all just gone, erased, was devastating. And my whole identity was in fitness and the way that I looked. And I know that sounds so shallow, but I made a living on the way that I looked. And this is before Instagram. I didn't even have Instagram or Facebook. Right. It was in 2010. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I had an Instagram account either. It was 2010. And I remember a client of mine said, You should really open up a Facebook account so people know how you're doing. You don't have to text people back one by one. And I'm like, Facebook, Mm. what? I'm not doing that. Instagram, what? And I didn't want any, I forbid anybody to take pictures of me. I remember I had a friend come into my house with her camera and I was in my wheelchair and she was taking pictures and I was like, Please stop taking pictures of me in my wheelchair because I will not be in this wheelchair much longer. Mm-hmm. Please don't take pictures of me like this. Now, looking back, I kind of wish I had more pictures so I could show transformational pictures, but I'm not yeah. the same person. And the reason I share the struggle to the strength is because we always have the ability to learn and grow. And I went from a place where thinking, well, this was the only thing that I could do that, well, well, wait, maybe there's something even bigger and better out there for me. So I think Mm -hmm. it's not about thinking about like, how can I fix what's broken and get back to that as to Mm -hmm. how can I open up my mindset to think of all the other possibilities that might be out there and and to start with that, I had to ask myself, well, what brings me joy? So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, I don't know what my passion or purpose is, I would, mm-hmm. I would encourage you to ask yourself, what brings you joy? What would you do every day, all day long? You wouldn't have to get paid for it. But if you did, that sure would be a bonus. But you would yeah. just do it and you would do it no matter what. And and that's what I asked myself. And mm-hmm. myself, when I asked myself, I was like, I, I love people and I love connecting with people and I love helping people. And I started teaching dance when I was 13. So I was, I've always been like in the industry where I have taught or served or helped. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I can't do that the way that I used to, but what can I do? So I think it's asking yourself the right questions too. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. And really interesting to look at what's bringing you joy because 
as you're talking about transformation, and I love what you said about where progress isn't getting back to yourself, but it's going into a new version of yourself or discovery. And I love that visual and probably what's bringing you joy is going to change through that progression as well, right? It's not going to stay the same. So it's just, that's an interesting way to think of it. And I really love that you've been such a good example of showing people that you don't have to just run right back to whatever your comfort zone is because you said you were so comfortable. And and I love that you've taught about how pain has been one of your greatest teachers, right? And can you talk more about that and how that has shaped who you are and changed you as a person? Yeah. And, and it's interesting because thank you for asking that question because I just had a doctor's appointment this morning with my my pain doctor. And a lot of people think that, oh, that motorcycle accident, 34 surgeries, and it looks horrific if you look at the before and after pictures of my leg that was like mangled and now I'm scarred from the hip down. But the crazy thing is, is the hardest thing that I have to deal with is the pain that I live with on a daily basis. Mm. I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. It's dubbed the suicide disease. There's Mm. no known cure for it. And I remember being so proud, like when I went into the doctor's office on crutches because they had said, oh, you're going to be in a wheelchair for two years. You will not be able to stand upright. This is going to be too painful. And I remember at, Mm. at about four months, I was like, I'm upright on crutches. They do not know who they're messing with. I'm like, <laughs> look at me. I am upright. I'm going to be running soon. As soon as they tell yeah. me I can bear weight on this leg, I am going to be running. And I went into this doctor and he took one look at me and he's like, hey, do you are you the kind of person who likes to push through pain? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, you got to stop. He got, he said, you've got something very serious. You've got this nerve disease and your life's never going to be the same. And he went on and on to say about how I would be wheelchair bound to stay in my wheelchair, that I would never work again. I would never walk again. And then tell me that I'd be lucky if I were able to put orthopedic shoes on and In that moment, it's crazy what goes through your mind, but I was like, orthopedic shoes? I am not wearing orthopedic shoes. Like, (laughs) I was like, forget that. But I was like, then it reality hit me like, this is serious. Like, I've got a nerve disease. I was in denial for two years. Really? I went to another doctor who said, yeah, you got it. I'm like, nope, y'all have got to be wrong. I do not have this nerve disease. The third nerve disease doctor or diagnosis, the doctor actually came to our house. And I will never forget this. He diet, he examined me, looked at me, and then we were, we went outside to sit on the back patio. And he said, you've got this. And you need to take radical accountability and take radical action right away. And I just burst into tears. 
And I think it was the first time I was like, okay, well, I got to do something about this. I did do some stuff in the beginning, but I was still in denial. And I only share that because being in denial led me down a road of despair Mm -hmm. that denial made me that that emotional that physical pain led to so much emotional pain which led to me isolating myself I was like didn't want anybody to know the pain I was going through which led to addiction because Mm -hmm. I was trying to stuff down the pain and the problems and the shame. And I felt so alone in what I was going through. And it wasn't until I really hit a a bad place, a rock bottom, that I was like, there's got to be something more. I could not have survived this accident and 34 surgeries to slowly be killing myself with alcohol. Yeah. And in that moment, I prayed. And I just prayed to God, please give me the strength and help me. And give me the courage to ask for help. And I did. And that saved my life. And I learned that resilience isn't about grit and just hustle and go, go, go. It is about connection. And when we have that connection, that is how we can get through the hardest times of our life. What a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. That was just so inspiring. And I didn't know that that's where, that your pain was where your addiction started. But that makes so much sense to me because my husband's a recovering addict. And I didn't know that. Yeah. And we've been in recovery for, gosh, 12, longer than that, probably. Maybe, let's see. Yeah. 13, 14. Can I just say something real quick that I love that you just said something very powerful. You just said, we have been in recovery. And it's like, yeah, you get to do it together. Yeah, it's def- it's a family disease for sure. But at the same time, I actually did my own, I did my own 12-step program because I was so codependent from lots of other things in my life. But then definitely as I took on that, like, I'm going to save you and rescue you role <laughs> with his with his recovery and then learned over time that that didn't work. But anyway, what I was going to say is one of the most helpful things that I ever learned in his addiction, which he is very open about his story that he's a recovering pornography addict, that his porn use was pain management. It wasn't something that like I was not enough or I was inadequate or our relationship wasn't enough for him. And so I think that that that's kind of a great, you know, common denominator with all addiction, that it is pain management. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily something is so defective in your life or there's something wrong with you. It's that 
when you start to use something that can be addicting to numb your pain, then that's where a lot of times the problem comes in. I just, I related to that and, and hearing that that's where it started for you. So I would love to hear more about your journey with recovery because you just celebrated two years, right? Yeah. Well, I had, I got sober actually in 2016 and, oh, that's right. And turned my life around. And then things got really, really good and really, Mm -hmm. really busy. And I I started letting the non-negotiables go that I had set for my life as far as like my morning rituals, my Mm. 12-step recovery meetings, that sort of thing. Yep. I had just gotten back from a weekend visiting family in Texas and at dealing with my brother's lawyer. He's on death row here in Texas. And because of his addiction that led him down a dark path. Mm -hmm. So not that there's any excuse, but it was like on every level from me not doing what I should, Mm -hmm. from my dealing with my brother's stuff from dealing with somebody in business I had paid that went AWOL. Like like anything you could name personally and professionally, like it was it was bad. Yeah. I I came home and I took a pill. I had a pain pill and I took a pill and and the moment I took that pill, I was like I just lost, I just lost my sobriety. I had five and a half years of sobriety. Wow. I wish I could tell you that I was like, oh, things are great. I felt good. There was no pain. No, I felt immediate shame. Mm. Shame. And it was because I knew I took that pill for the wrong reason. I didn't have a physical ailment or something that I I got a high pain tolerance. I took it because I wanted to numb out. I wanted Mm -hmm. to escape the world. I was in so much pain. And what you shared earlier about, yeah, we all have addictions and we're trying to escape the pain. And it can be through work, through through speed dating, through overeating, through drinking, through drugs, through through porn. It's all common. But I knew immediately, I was like, oh, wow, I've never had a, an issue or anything with pills. And I mm-hmm. don't want to. So I knew immediately I was going to have to, I was going to get to wake up and tell my sponsor first thing in the morning. So I immediately went to bed, woke Mm -hmm. up and told my sponsor and I was filled with like shame and embarrassment and defeat and felt horrible. Mm -hmm. And I had to start my time over. And then I realized that, you know what? Everything serves a purpose and it has made me appreciate my sobriety even more. And I 
finally got the courage to like share that, hey, I screwed up for a day and I'm blessed to be back Yeah, in the program. And the messages that I have gotten from people that have said everything from thank you for sharing because I slipped and I haven't been able to go back in because I've had too much shame or mm. I slipped and now I'm going back in or you've just given me a reason to get sober. Like all those things, if I can touch one person by sharing that, then it's worth it. I think that's probably the most powerful thing that you've shared is that you you knew that you felt that shame, but then you said, I'm still going to be honest with it. And and I see so many people who instead, like they have that moment and then the shame drives them to keep it a secret and keep going. And then it just, they just get buried more and more and more because the shame drives the addiction and the secrets. And you're only as sick as your secrets, mm-hmm. as they say in AA. So I think that, it is so empowering to just be honest and to just get honest about exactly where you're at. And then what a gift that you have to tell people, so many people who are going to slip because it happens, that it's okay to reset and that there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that there's more of a gift that you can give to someone by being able to say that perhaps than even being able to say, well, I've been sober for if you didn't count that day, how many years would it be now? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Like I look back, I would have been sober since 2016. And it used to make me real sad. In fact, look, I keep this, I keep this chip right here on my desk. It's my two year chip. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let that go. Yeah. But when I think about it, I would have had seven years of sobriety. Almost almost eight years of sobriety, but it doesn't doesn't matter as much as it matters is you've got to be honest. You got to be mm-hmm. honest with yourself. If you're not honest with yourself, then how can you start to build the trust within yourself? And without trust within yourself, you can't build the confidence within yourself. Yes. Every moment I knew for me that if I could not be honest about that one slip up, what else was I going to do? And to me, honesty and integrity is everything. Like, that's the most important thing in my marriage, in my business relationships with my kids, Mm -hmm. everything. I tell my kids, I don't care what you've done. Just be honest with me. You talk to me and we can work it out. But if you're not honest, we don't have anything. So you got to be honest. And I knew that if I couldn't be honest with myself, how could I be honest in anything that I did moving forward? And I feel like everything is built on the foundation of integrity and honesty. For At least for me, it is. I want people to know that they can count on me 
And when I give them my word, it's my word. And I was just talking to my mom about this last night, actually. Well, my mom and my grandmother, my grandmother's 97 years old. And I, she's, she's amazing. And she's, she is my biggest inspiration. She's my mentor. She's who I talk to about everything. So I go drive to her house. That's one of the reasons I wanted to move back to Texas is so I could be closer to her. Mm -hmm. And I can go to her and I can talk to her about everything and anything. And I was just talking to her yesterday about like honesty and integrity and something that had happened in a business deal where they told me they were going to do something. And I also signed a contract and they were going to do something for me and they completely went MIA. My grandmother was like, you know, back in the day, all we had was our word. And when we told Mm. somebody we were going to do something, we did it. We shook their hand. We were going to do it. And it's like, that is your brand, basically. You know what I mean? Yes, that trust is the currency of life, everything in life. Yeah. Well, yes. yes. Like, actually, when Henry told me I needed to meet you, I knew, oh, she's going to be a friend for life for me because I love Henry. Henry knows me. Henry knows who I need to connect with. For sure, we're going to be friends for life. That's how I felt too. Yeah. Yeah. Because we both trust Henry. Yeah. We know that he, yes, that anything he says, you can take it to the bank. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think that Gosh, there is something so powerful about knowing that not only in our relationships with each other, but going back to your original point, knowing that you're being honest with yourself. And I love that you said that if you're honest, then you can be confident. And then if you're not going to be honest with yourself about where you're really at, that it's eventually it will erode your confidence. And that's such a powerful message for all of us to remember, because I think like the other side, you know, the other little voice on your shoulder or the adversary or whatever you want to call it. For me, that would definitely be the adversary that I believe in is, oh, no one's going to know. It's not a big deal. That's the other, that's the temptation, right? Is like, oh, it's, it was just one time. It's not that big of a deal. Mm. But that it starts to just erode everything in your life. It'll start like with starting with your confidence and then it will eventually affect everything else until you have to go back to the beginning. So it's so much better to do what you said, where you just knew right in that moment, all right, tomorrow morning, I got to call my sponsor. I got to get honest. And it's a lot easier to get honest quickly than for life to beat you up. And then you find a new rock bottom, you have to start all over again. Mm -hmm. So I think what you did is super inspiring and a great lesson for everyone to just listen to and remember that it's just easier to be honest right away than, than to let let it take you down. Yeah. And and let me tell you, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I'm say I can kind of laugh at it now, but oh, it sucked. It was hard. I didn't like it. I felt so much shame. Mm-hmm. But then you get through that. And like we talked about earlier, you heal what you reveal. And it Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it was hard. 
at first, but you do get through it. Yeah. All right, let's shift gears. I would love to talk about what you spend a lot of your time doing with female empowerment and teaching other women to step into their power and to find that we, you talked a little bit about it, finding what brings you joy, but this is something that you are a master at. So I would love to talk about why that's important to you and what inspired you to start doing that and how you work with women to teach them these skills. Oh, thank you for asking that question. I'm so, I so loved the way that you asked it because I was just recently asked by someone, they're like, why is it so important for you to hold events? And I was like, (laughs) you're like, you missed the whole point. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. See, you get it, right? I I get it. I get it. I was like, why is it so important? I was like, because I want to offer a stage and a platform for other women to share their stories because we all have a story to share and it needs to be told. When she asked that, I was kind of like, wow, really? Why is it important? Like, whoa. So I love the way that you asked that question. Thank you. I noticed as I have been on my journey, like at first I started, I really connected with a lot of people in the chronic pain community. And I was really doing a lot of work with trying to give tools on how to help people get through pain. And it actually hit me when I was on Clubhouse. I don't know. Were you on Clubhouse? Was that one of those apps that like lived and died for 90 days or something? Yeah. I I don't think I ever was. Well, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was on there for a while. It was during COVID and I even had a room where it was like I had one group. It was a great place where you could connect with people. And I had one room Mm -hmm. that was a connection for people with chronic pain, CRPS, fibromyalgia, all these things. And it was a support group, another room where it was for female entrepreneurs. And I noticed like I, as, as positive as the room for chronic pain was, like giving tools and tips and stuff, I felt Mm -hmm. a little drained. Mm. The room for entrepreneurs, oh my gosh, I was lit up on fire. Couldn't wait to be there. Couldn't wait to offer tips and tools and strategies. And I was like, that's, I I love this. It was life-giving instead of life-draining. Yes, for sure. I thought, you know, I'd been a part of other masterminds for years and I thought, well, I want to do my own mastermind. And so I got certified with the Mastermind Academy and started doing my own masterminds. And at first I had men and women. And then over the years, it's like the last couple of years, it's changed to just women Because Mm -hmm. I do a lot of speaking events where I'm Mm -hmm. the only female keynote speaker or one of two out of 10 male speakers. And I love men. Don't get me wrong. I love them. (laughs) My husband the most. But I love men. Don't get me wrong. But I just want to see more females on the stage. Right. So I thought, well, if I can start a mastermind and 
get women, teach women how to give a speech, tell them how to start their podcast, show them how to have the best-selling book, and then give them a platform where they can be on stage, then that's what I want to do. That's my biggest passion. And I think a lot of times people see me speaking on stages all over the country, and maybe they think that's my biggest passion. And I love the that I get to do that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think what is the most fulfilling thing that I get to do is to work with women in my mastermind and bring them along the journey with me and see mm-hmm. them get on stages. Oh, that's really cool. I, I love, love it. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. I get to do this. <laughs> well, you're really, really inspiring. And there's a reason why you're getting asked over and over to speak because you have not only an incredible story, but a gift to be able to connect with people and make them feel like they can see themselves inside of you and what you've gone through. And I mean, you did that for me. I felt like there were so many pieces of your story that I connected with. So you're really good at that. And I know you're really, you, you briefly mentioned it, that it's really important to you to focus on teaching people to tell their stories. And why do you care about that element so much? I think it's very healing, but Mm -hmm. I also think that, like, I I realized that for the first time, and you ask the best questions, by the way. You're amazing. Thank you. You're amazing. When I realized that, I remember my husband, who's very private and doesn't talk about feelings and stuff like that a lot, he finally agreed to say yes to be on an interview where they wanted to interview us as a couple. And mm-hmm. he cried during the interview. And I was kind of like, what? What is going on? is this? What is going <laughs> on? Like, you're telling that. And I realized he had not been able to share or talk and it's a healing process to be able to share and talk and teach others. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it was Brene Brown. I'm not sure, but I heard this quote once. It says, share from a scar and not an open wound. I, I, I did a lot of healing before I was able to start sharing about stuff. I mean, I think I was sober almost two years before I talked about sobriety I it had been probably five years, no, maybe four years before I started talking about stuff about my motorcycle accident. But I think it's also important to share because when we express our vulnerability, it actually builds connection. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of times we think, oh, that's going to make us look weak or less than, or those are the things that I told myself anyway. But I realized as I have shared, and, and let me tell you, there's been times I will never forget. I was speaking at a virtual event and it was this huge women's event and I was sharing and talking and I don't know why, but out of my mouth came the fact that I was sober and I shared a little bit about that. And I got off that call and I was like, oh, I think I overshared. That was a business event. I shouldn't have said so much. Like 
that was too much. I had more response from people after that event telling me thank you. And then three months later, I was speaking at a mastermind group. And Mm -hmm. afterwards, they said, we've got a little time for Q&A if anybody wants to raise their hand. And I had a lady raise their hand and say, hey, Amberly, I just want you to know, I heard you speak three months ago. And because of you, I got three months sober today. Oh, and, that's so cool. And so I was like, wow. Yeah, when we share our story, somebody can heal. Somebody can grow. It's the ripple yeah. effect that we can allow to happen if we're sharing kindness and love and inspiration and hope that things can Mm. get better. Yeah. And your story really matters. Even if it's one person that that one person lived a completely different lifestyle for three months where she's now living in sobriety instead of addiction because you gave her permission. And there I was like, I'm embarrassed. I, I think I overshared. I probably shared too much. All the things. And then mm. that message, I'm like, wow, no, that's that mattered. Like somebody changed their life, you know? And it was probably the most important thing you said that day. Thank you. Because it because it changed someone's life. And I love to think about this too, that generationally it just it affects so many people the way that she's going to act in all of her relationships and then anyone that comes after her, whether she has her own children or not, that it just, I feel like we're getting better with each generation. As you give your gift of vulnerability and permission to other people to be human and to be flawed, then they can not only work on themselves, but break down the stigmas, which I know you talk about too, and then allow people to see that we're, we're all imperfect people working on our own things and step away from what we've had for so many generations before us of appear to be perfect. Don't tell your secrets. Don't overshare like you're saying, you Mm -hmm. know, but I also think there's so much wisdom going back to what you said about share from a scar, not a wound, not an open wound. That was so, so good and so powerful. And I thought when you said that about how there's so much wisdom in the 12 steps and that the 12th step the last one of all of them is to share share the message and it's not number two or number three when you're just brand new in recovery and really excited so true right done the work yet yes so i always tell people that they get some people not everybody but some people that i've sponsored in the past get excited and they they want to start telling everybody and start apologizing and starting start start doing things really early and i'm like no there's an order on purpose for a reason so I love what you shared about share from a scar, not a wound. I remember that too. I remember like, come on, I want to get through these steps. Like, yeah, I, I need to get through these steps. Like I, I was type A overachiever. Let me get stuff done. How come it's Give me the take- fast track version? I was like, I need, this is going to take over a year to get through these steps. Like what? I'm not going to be finished like, isn't it when I hit my one year sobriety, I will have finished the steps. And I'm like, yeah, when do you graduate? When I graduate. (laughs) And it's like, 
Yeah. Oh, no, I never actually graduate. I'm always learning. I'm always Mm -hmm. growing. I'm in the middle of doing my steps again. And I share that for anybody listening who's like, what are they talking about, about the 12 steps? Look it up because it's great. You don't have to be an addict or anything like that to go through this process. I think it's the best self-development process you can ever go through. But the the 12 steps, because we're always constantly, we're changing, we're growing. Mm-hmm. It's good to go through those 12 steps again and again to continue our recovery process, to continually learn and grow and to be a better person. And not just to be a better person, but honestly, to be able to handle circumstances in a better way. I mean, I just recently was in a situation, it was a business situation where it did not go well. And people around me were freaking out. They were freaking out. And I was able to remain calm and clear and Mm -hmm. They were also like, well, aren't you worried about this? And this gonna and I was like, no, I just gotta keep my side of the street clean, be a yep. good person, and they can do whatever. I'm not in control. It it allows you to focus on what you can control and let go of what you can't. So yep. it relieves anxiety. It allows you to find peace and serenity. I agree. It's it is our new design for living too. It's how we do everything. And it is I agree. It's the best self-development and refinement process. All right, I have one last question for you. And that is if there's one message that you want the person listening to this episode today to remember, what do you want that one message to be? That you don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Ask for help. I tried to do it alone. I felt so alone for so long. And the moment I started reaching out for help, connecting with community, it changed my life. And I think the easiest way that you can start to build your community and have a community is to add value and to just be kind. And kindness goes a long way. And I know that seems so simple and like ask for help seems so simple, but I was literally about to call it quits. And when I finally got the courage to ask for help and I knew I wasn't alone is what completely changed my life. And I think that as far as like a personal and professional standpoint or things to say is like, when I talk about kindness is like, kindness goes a long way. I have people ask me all the time, how are you getting booked on all these speaking gigs and this and that? And it's like, well, I show up to events and I offer to serve and help and I'm there to be of service and I'm nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. I will even sweep the floor if you need me to, like whatever I can do. So they're like, oh, well, Amberly's kind. She'll sweep the floor for us if we need her to. (laughs) And they have me back. 
But I think asking for help, community, and kindness is what can be life-changing. And it's free. All that's free. Yeah. The best things in life are free. I love your answer and I love everything that you've shared. Where can people find you, Amberly? If they want to work with you, if they want to attend one of your life-changing events or join your mastermind or anything like that. I hope you come to my next event because Henry's supposed to speak at it and I need to even talk to you about speaking at it. We'll talk off camera. Okay. Okay. Let's talk. But yeah, amberlylago.com. So it's A-M-B-E-R-L-Y-L-A-G-O.com. You can find all my upcoming events. I hang out primarily, mostly on Instagram at Motivation. You can find out more how to be involved with speaking on stage or be a part of the mastermind at True Grit and Grace. That's also the name of my book and the name of my podcast, which you're going to be a guest on my podcast as well. So y'all will have to tune in. Yes, I'm excited for that. Okay, wonderful. We will link all of these things in the show notes. And thank you again, Amberly, for sharing your story and your beautiful motivation with all of us. It's, it's been such a treat for me today. Thank you. I sure appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.